This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end. It's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. This is Jack Wilson from the History of Literature. You're listening to a recorded history podcast. Rappers Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Samson Folk, and today, a very special podcast in that we're previewing the Eastern Conference, the conference with which, you know, the Raptors reside in, and I thought, who better than a guy who writes about, you know, the league at large, but also a lot of pieces about the Eastern Conference, the Raptors during the playoffs, had terrific stuff about their defense, about Marcus Gasol in particular, and writing about, you know, how Marcus Smart is going to play center for the Boston Celtics, things like that. He writes for SB Nation, co-host the Winning Plays podcast. Michael Pina, how are you, man? I'm doing wonderful, Samson. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited for the coming season. I'm sure you are too. Like we were talking before the podcast, it's been it's been a crazy summer. And like you said, you know, keeping track of player movement, maybe that's the th- first thing before we get into breaking out the Eastern Conference was... Which was the most interesting? It doesn't have to be the most popular move, but which was the one that interested you the most as far as player movement went in the summer? Uh, there, I mean, there's so many to choose from. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by Al Horford's decision to go to the Philadelphia 76ers just because he was such an integral part of the Celtics for, for so many years and the Hawks before that. And, I mean just the way that he compliments players um, is evident whenever you watch him play, but in this, in a, on a team that just, you know, lacks spacing, lacks shooting, um, you know, he won't have the ball in his hands a ton and he's playing power forward almost exclusively. So we'll see how that looks. I just, I just can't wait to see it. Yeah. And maybe that's a perfect opportunity to go from Horford joining the 76ers. We'll segue into the first, tier of the Eastern Conference that we're going to walk through, and that's the can conceivably win a title tier. 
And if I'm missing a team, you let me know. But as it stands right now, I have the 76ers, the Bucks, and the Nets if KD comes back through a miracle and is, you know, the same player he was. Do you think there's anybody else? Do you think the Raptors or the Celtics or Pacers can win a title this year, or do they not have the top-end talent? Right now, as the teams are constructed, I personally have the Bucks and the Sixers in their own tier. And then I'm, I'm kind of writing off the Nets. I feel like this is a transition season for them. They're very talented. They just added Kyrie and KD. But KD is, I mean, I think we can say he's not going to play this season. And even if he does come back, I just don't see him being what he was, uh, you know, throughout his entire career, uh, right back from uh, the Achilles injury. So um, I, I have the Bucks and the Sixers at the top. And then I feel like the I mean, the Raptors are very interesting. I, I think they will be formidable, though, not. I think they'll be a better regular season team than a playoff team. Yeah. And when I look at the Celtics, I I think they're a trade away from being very interesting in the title conversation, but not quite there where they are now. I think they have too many questions, although they are very talented. Um, but the again, the Bucks and the Sixers are just head and shoulders. I think above everybody else. Yeah. Well, you you hit it on the head. That was the next tier is the very good regular season lacking the top end to win it all group and that's for me the Raptors and the Celtics but we'll keep it with the the title contenders to start things off you're talking about Al Horford and we'll start with the 76ers then what is the biggest thing the most interesting part of that team that you're looking forward to this year outside of Al Horford I think the loss honestly of JJ Redick is huge for them. I mean, their offense really centered around a lot of action with Joel Embiid and J.J. Redick. That two-man game was basically unstoppable. They lose Redick. They lose, um, uh, you know, I was literally about to say, oh, but they have Landry Shamit, so it's okay. But they, they don't have Landry Shamit because they made a terrible <laughs> trade last season. Yeah. Um, you know, losing Redick, obviously they lost Jimmy Butler, who was you know, integral to to their success in the playoffs last season on both ends. And, you know, he had that play, which I'm sure had you had your heart in your throat at the end of game seven, where he took it the other way at the layup. I think that if I'm not missed, did that tie the game in game seven? I can't recall. Yeah. It brought them within it one. It was either something like that. I think it was 89, 89 that he tied it. I think that's what it was. Or it was 89, 87. And then Pascal went one for two from the line or something. I can't remember right. exactly. But I think it did tie right. it at 89-89. Right. But, my, yeah, my point is just losing a gamer like that who, I mean, I, I think that Jimmy is solidly a top 15 player in the world. And it's really, like, nothing to sneeze at when you lose a player like that who was your primary ball handler and play creator down the stretch of playoff games because – you know, Ben Simmons is still a question mark. Like, I don't really put too much stock in the offseason workout videos and highlight tapes where he's hitting step back threes. Um, and I, I mean, I, I want to see the, the highlight reel of him missing all those shots because I'm sure <laughs> there were a ton that did not go in. Um, it's three times as long, that tape. It's way too long to watch, probably. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, Simmons has question marks, uh, very intriguing talent, no doubt, but I just don't know what his ceiling is without a three point shot or even the threat of, you know, an elbow jumper. Um, Josh Richardson kind of 
coming into the fold, replacing J.J. Redick, an obvious upgrade on the defensive end. And I think that, you know, big picture, the Philadelphia 76ers have the potential to be the best defense in the league. That's kind of what the expectation should be for them coming into the season with Embiid, with all this, just all the size that they have. Um, that should be what they're shooting for. But again, losing Redick and just the offensive, what how, the, the, the plays and the sequences he allowed them to execute on the offensive end are no longer there. And I just wonder, you know, when there's, uh, you know, three minutes left in a tie game, game five in the playoffs, uh, you know, who is making plays for this team off the bounce? Because I don't think Tobias Harris is that guy. Uh, you can't really just, you know, throw the ball to Embiid yet because he still struggles with double teams at times. And I don't think Josh Richardson or Ben Simmons is up for the task. So that's a really interesting question for them. But I still think that they are uh, one of, if not the best teams in the conference. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you talked about where they're probably weak. And maybe we can switch over to, like, you acknowledge that losing J.J. Redick he was an integral part of their offense, as was Jimmy Butler. And you're talking about how are they going to operate down towards the end of the game where they can't run anything off the elbow. There's no pick and rolls to run with Embiid. It doesn't seem like you would maybe have who Josh Richardson running with them or Ben Simmons. And that would be very, very clunky as far as spacing goes. And there's no type of dribble handoffs, no DHOs to run with J.J. Redick off of Joel Embiid. And you can't go to a guy like Jimmy Butler, who was, like you said, very important down the stretch for them. But on the other side, there seems to be a lot of potential for this, a lot of mayhem on the defensive side because Ben Simmons, for what it's worth, in the playoffs we saw that, yes, he aligns his feet when he shoots as if he's a right-handed shooter, except he's left-handed, and that's horrible and terrible. But he also, (laughs) from my eye, when I watched him guard Kawhi Leonard... And that was probably the thing that got the... Obviously, Joel Embiid was the biggest piece of the 76ers, but Simmons' defense on Kawhi was the second biggest thing, I thought, to where they could upset the Raptors. And to me, he seems like a top 10 defender in the league, maybe even higher. You have Joel Embiid patrolling the paint. Like you said, Josh Richardson, he's an upgrade as well. Tobias Harris, while not a very good defender, adds more size. And you were talking about them being the best defense in the league. Do you think that's a regular season thing or do you think that's something that gels maybe in the postseason? I think both, to be honest. I mean, I I really like their personnel. That starting five will probably be the group that also closes for them. Uh, All those guys can stay on the floor, one would think. Uh, Their bench has some question marks, I think. Uh, You know, James Ennis was pretty good in the playoffs. Um, Beyond that, I really don't see too many guys on this roster who are proven, who can do anything. I mean, Zaire Smith was not really eligible or not really capable of playing last year. Uh, I think they have Trey Burke on the roster now. So, uh, like, just a lot of really weird things happening in the rest of the rotation. But, I mean, to answer your question, the defense is just, like, they can do a lot of different things um, that they could not do last year, even when they had really good personnel as well. Um, You add Al Horford, and it's like Horford doesn't even need to be the anchor. He was the anchor in Boston, and he had to do so many different things. Here he doesn't, so it's going to be really fun to see just, you know, him able to sink in on either one particular matchup or primarily be off the ball with Embiid guarding whoever is uh, 
uh, in the post. Um, it's it's a it's a just a lot of size, a lot of length. Um, when Tobias Harris is your weak link in a lineup on the defensive end, you have a lot of good things going for you. Yeah, and like you like you alluded to, Al Horford not having to be the anchor, but getting to play a different type of role on defense should be really interesting. It might be kind of like a season like we saw Paul George when he got to play next to Andre Roberson, where when he's granted that type of space on defense, the defensive genius comes through even more because he can play off of the clear best defender of the group who will be Joel Embiid, and that gives him so much more space to create havoc for the offense, and that's probably one of the most interesting things. Horford's still sticking with him. Like you said, how he's going to be featured on offense should be pretty interesting. What do you think the 76ers do when they won't have a lot of ball handling or pick-and-roll prowess? Do they use Horford as connective tissue to try and get Simmons and Embiid inside? Do they use him as kind of like maybe not optimally, maybe he gets stuck shooting jumpers from the outside, kind of like how Chris Bosh was relegated to in the later on heat years. What do you think happens with that? Yeah, I mean, the, the beauty of Horford is he can space the floor, he can run pick and pop, uh, pick and roll. He's really good in the post against smaller defenders. Like I think that that's an underrated part of his game, and we saw it in the playoffs. Not this past postseason, but the one before when the Celtics really needed him to run a lot of post-up action. Uh, I think he's at his best still when he's just, you know, surveying the floor from the elbows and the elbow extended areas. Like, he's such a good passer. He can put the ball on the deck. Um, I see them running a lot of action with off-ball screening and man movement where, you know, Horford is kind of able to just look around and make plays and pick defenses apart. That's that's probably his best role. But, you know, he's so good because when an action breaks down and, and a play kind of goes off script, you can just kind of throw him the ball and he'll shoot it from just about anywhere. And there's a good chance it's going to go in like he's one of the best mid-range shooters of all time. So he's he's just a real great luxury to have. And it's it's going to be really fascinating to see how Brett Brown folds him in. Yeah. Well, let's I'll switch over to the Bucks now and you can tell me if I'm wrong about any of this. I think that last year was the Bucks year. The fact that they had Brook Lopez on that really cheap contract, it was before Brogdon got paid by another team. They had a bunch of those guys like George Hill, Ilyasova, guys like that stepping up and I think last year was the year where that team had to do it. This year, the fact that Brogdon is gone, the fact that Lopez is eating up like what 16 million of the cap whereas before it was on a minimum contract i think that spells trouble for their ceiling when last year i felt like that was the year they had to do it this year i'm not that confident in it. of course you know Giannis, he could get exponentially better with a jump shot or something like that but if you had to convince me why the bucks were gonna win as opposed to what i just laid out what would you say Kawhi Leonard went to the Los Angeles Clippers. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I what you're saying, I don't necessarily disagree with. I think last year, everything kind of came together. They looked a lot like the 2011 Dallas Mavericks. I think that's the biggest proxy for, for just their recipe for success with this one supernova surrounded by so many complementary pieces on both ends. Uh, you had the defensive scheme that really flummoxed the entire league throughout the year with Brooke Lopez hanging back. 
They never really played went they never really went small as much as one would have expected heading into the season. And um it was just bombs away with a five out philosophy that really had a lot of success with Coach Bud and him winning coach of the year. Um I mean Losing Brogdon is a huge dagger. He was he was huge for them in the playoffs when healthy and replacing him with, I guess, like a hodgepodge of uh, Wes Matthews, George Hill, Pat Connaughton, Dante DiVincenzo, who they who they like need to take a leap forward this year. I mean, there's a lot of. There's a lot of wary there, um, I think. And uh, again, uh, you know, Eric Bledsoe is also someone who. You know, if they could go back in time, I wonder if they would pay Eric Bledsoe's money to Malcolm Brogdon. Probably they would. And he's a question mark in the playoffs. And I mean, when I look at this team, I strictly judge them about the postseason because I know they're going to be good in the regular season. And I know Giannis is just going to kind of trounce through the league. But as you brought up, Giannis's own growth, he's still like not even close to his prime. I just I just don't know how much better he can be without the jumper and I don't want to get too caught up on it because I think he's made you know modest strides in that department and he still is able to get to the basket and it doesn't really matter if he can shoot if every one of his teammates is a potent three-point shooter but I I just I don't know like I don't want to harp too much on on uh, Sports Illustrated's top 100 but when they listed Giannis as the first as the number one player in the league, I, I just I, I don't really see that yet because there's just still a couple you know blemishes in his game that we saw in the playoffs that I don't know if he can correct if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. Well, I guess we obviously both watched that series pretty closely against the Raptors. That was the Bucks' demise, even more so than the jump shot. I thought that his playmaking. And his decision making was probably what failed the Bucks the most. It just he wasn't able to work out what the Raptors were doing. And it didn't seem like it was just because of the jump shot. It seemed like he he just couldn't figure out the defense. And I think that's something that when teams locked down, and that was like you said, the their closest comparison was the the Mavericks, was that, you know, Dirk and there were a lot of veterans who were cutting around Dirk and really knew how to play off of him that things stagnated for the Bucks last year against the Raptors in a way that things didn't really stagnate for the Mavericks um, in 2011. But I wonder, do you think that's a place where he can grow from, like his playmaking and how he manipulates a defense a la LeBron? Yeah, I mean, I don't think he'll ever be the passer that LeBron uh, is because LeBron is one of the best passers in the history of basketball. Right and just sees the game like a computer chip. But, like, Giannis, there's just different parts of his game. I mean, it's fundamentally built on power and strength and just over, like, just dominating defenses with his own muscles. But, like, in the playoffs, you that's good and, and great, but you need to be able to finesse at times. And when the Raptors put Kawhi Leonard on him and he was afraid to dribble, like, that's that's not great. And And... Uh, you know, driving kicks to guys who are missing open threes, and then all of a sudden, what is your solution there? So I think Giannis has to make strides thinking the game a little bit better, and, you know, his handle could improve. There's uh, different areas of his game that still need to take steps forward, I think. And I'm not sure, you know, I'm, I'm not doubting him. I think he's a, 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 his work ethic, by all accounts, is just off the charts. But 
but I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I think he's a wonderful player, but he still has some areas that he needs to improve upon if this team is going to win it all because it's there's really no other all-stars in this team chris middleton sure that's fine but like we saw what happened in the playoffs last year with chris middleton well that's that's the thing right is that's where my hesitancy with this team comes from at least believing in them as a title contender or a title winner let's say is that Giannis is obviously an incredible player like you said he's pretty much maximized how a wing player can play on the inside I don't know that we've ever seen a guy like him before dominate both the glass and play at the rim on defense and offense. It's incredible. But the thing that, like you said, maybe give the money to Brogdon instead of Bledsoe if they had the chance. The fact that Lopez and Brogdon were the second and third best players on the Bucks when they faced the Raptors and Bledsoe and Middleton fell fourth and fifth, that's the biggest problem. Not having Brogdon going forward. That's that's a lot of trouble, I think. And I feel like we can leave the Bucks right there. And we'll get into the, the next tier, the second tier of the Eastern Conference, which, as I said before, is the very good regular season, but lacking the top end to win it all group. And so I think that Brad Stevens and Kemba Walker and Tatum, Brown, that whole ragtag group, group of guys, especially when you <laughs> consider that Tatum and Brown can keep improving. And I think I'm a lot higher on Brown than most people. I think he's fantastic. And Tatum, obviously, I think the initial wave of, I guess, optimism for him has now tapered back down to where he might even be underrated as a prospect. So we'll see. But what do you think about Boston for this upcoming year? Uh, I think that, like I said at the top, they have a lot of talent. Uh, They have... You know, they obviously lose Kyrie Irving and Al Horford, and those are their two best players <laughs> from last year's team. Last year was also like a humongous disappointment, and there was, I think, a big problem with the Celtics last year was just there was there's too many players who at the end of so at the end of a game, I mean, it was really difficult for Brad Stevens to sort of identify who the five best players were and who should be on the court in crunch time, and when you can't do that, it's just kind of the, the issue there kind of trickles down and, and infects different parts of your roster and your team and your locker room. And so this year, I think it's just a little more simple. You have, you know, uh, you have Kemba, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Tatum and Hayward. And I think those are going to be your five best players. And you can play those guys and they're all six, eight or younger or, or, or shorter, I should say. And, you know, there's that kind of leads you into the the troubles with this team, which is they don't have uh, a lot of size and a lot of dependability at the center position. Um, Like I said, I think this team is one trade away from really being dangerous. I'm really high on Kemba's fit. I'm high on Gordon Hayward, two years removed from the injury. I'm high on Jalen coming off the Team USA performance that he did, where I thought he was really impressive and his body looked bigger than it than it has been. Um, and Tatum. I mean, Tatum is like my personal expectations for him are the All Star game, and I wouldn't be surprised if he was this team's leading scorer this season. And I think for them to reach their ceiling, that's what needs to happen. So, 
they're not a title contender as as currently constituted just because of their limitations uh, personnel wise. But the talent here, the ceiling here is just it's it's really high. It's really intriguing. And they kind of are able to embody the underdog mentality that so many Brad Stevens teams have had success with in the past. And you you wrote about, obviously, you're a Boston fan. For those who don't know, you're a Boston fan. Hello, I'm Jack Wilson. I'm here to tell you about my podcast, The History of Literature. Hello. This is Edgar Allan Poe. Hello. Oh, hello. I'm Elizabeth Bennett. Hello. Come on Hello. in. I'm Emily Dickinson. Hello. This is Bartleby. Hello, it's me, Lady Macbeth. The Scrivener. Whoa. On the history of literature, we journey through the world of great books, taking a look at everything from the Epic of Gilgamesh to contemporary classics. We talk to authors and professors, and once in a while, we have a special guest. Hello, I'm Oliver Twist. The History of Literature podcast with Jack Wilson, where literature comes to life. Join us. We'll consider ourselves grateful. Thank you, Oliver. More gruel, please, sir. You bet. <laughs> and you wrote you wrote a really interesting piece. I think it was at the very end of August, and it was about Marcus Smart playing center. And like you alluded to earlier, Boston Brad Stevens they didn't know who to play at the end of a game. It wasn't really apparent. Like you said, now it is. How does that line up with Marcus Smart at center? And all the players you named before, Hayward, Kemba, Tatum, Brown, how does that change their fortune at the end of games? I think <laughs> I didn't write that to, uh, like, the, the, my primary reason for writing that was not to advocate for Marcus Smart to be the center. But, uh, and, and, and in particular, it's really interesting because Jalen Brown was kind of a de facto uh, center for Team USA at stretches. You know, when they played Serbia in that Constellation game, he was defending Nikola Jokic for stretches and doing a decent job. So I don't know if Marcus Smart will have to be the guy who defends the opposing the opposing team's, uh, you know, biggest player or, or a low-post threat, but I just think that this, that this unit, um, that five-man unit, offensively is just so devastating. I don't know how you slow them down. Um, they have so many ball handlers, so many smart thinkers, um, shooting, athleticism. They can score, like, just about everyone on the group can score at all three levels. Like, they're just, it's going to be really difficult to defend them. And, like, I, I don't know how often Brad Stevens is going to actually go there because you know there's Daniel Tice there's Robert Williams there's Grant Williams there's Ennis Cantor there's there are bigs on the roster um and traditionally you know Brad Stevens loves defense first he builds the defense and that's kind of where everything falls in line but I think offense needs to be the identity of this team for it to have the type of success that it's capable of sapping I'm wondering like you mentioned Jason Tatum you're saying you wouldn't be surprised if he became an all-star this year do you think that if he is an all-star this year, his game looks like pretty much what we've seen before, but just a little at a little bit higher clip? Or do you think he's going to turn the corner in some aspects of his play style? Yeah, I think he'll have to mature in several areas. And we've, we've caught a glimpse of it a tiny bit at Team USA. And just when you read just, you know, things that are said about his off-season training, um, I think a shot selection needs to mature. I think uh, more threes, more attacking the basket. I think 
having him operate as a pick and roll playmaker, which he has the size and intuition to do, uh, will bring his entire game to the next level. And you know, not 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 having him just be someone who will catch a kick out and attack a closeout, but someone who really initiates the offense and sets guys up, draws double teams. Um, because we already know he can basically get whatever shot he wants whenever he wants it. But the, 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 the discipline now for him is to understand what's a good shot and what is, you know, a sidestep long two with a hand in your face that, you know, will go in maybe, I don't know, 38% of the time, but you've seen it go in like 90% of the time when you're alone in a gym. Like I, I, those are the types of shots that he just has to kind of excise from his his menu, but uh, but the sky's the limit for him talent-wise. And I, I honestly think that uh, his sophomore season got a little more criticism than it probably deserved. And I think he just overachieved so dramatically as a rookie. Well, yeah, like, and not even in the regular season of his rookie year necessarily, but when you're coming down the lane and dunking on LeBron and being the leading scorer for a conference finals team, that's going toe-to-toe with LeBron. I mean, the sky's going to be the limit. I remember after that season, I was like, there's no reason he can't be like a top five MVP candidate in his career and like, a you know, an all NBA type player. And that, that was how I thought of him. And yeah, you're right. I thought he did. He did get a little bit too harsh of criticisms during his sophomore year. If you could give him any player's brain, like the basketball brain of any player, if you could insert it into Jason Tatum's head, who would it be? Who do you want him to play most like with his skills? Wow, that is a <laughs> that is a great question. Um, usually, when <laughs> usually when I think about this, the answer is always Russell Westbrook. But <laughs> <laughs> but I I actually am, I'm leaning now to a little bit more towards James Harden. And not necessarily the, the uh, analytical robot that we've seen over the past couple of years. Um, you know, the pre-step back three James Harden, where I think his playmaking was just such a brilliant part of his game and such an underrated part of his game. And he was still able to just kind of navigate the court with... Like he, he just it was so confident in, in every step that he took and every dribble and every pass, every decision. That's kind of what I want to see out of Tatum. I mean, a lot of people will probably say like Kevin Durant, they want that 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 scoring killer, that predator, uh, ace predator mentality. And that's great. But I also just love players who think the game as well. And I think Tatum has that capability. Yeah, I think, well, James Harden would be really fun, especially the version that you, you're alluding to, because could you imagine Jason Tatum with his length? If he's going downhill, like he's put the guy behind him in jail out of the pick and roll, and every step he takes that the like the help side defender doesn't make a decision, he gets closer to the basket. But as soon as that guy leaves his feet or comes out, like there's a wraparound pass or, some, or a lob, like if Jason right. Tatum had that type of playmaking prowess downhill like James Harden has, that would, geez, that would be really fun to watch. Also, uh, real quick, I, I actually asked Tatum at the draft years ago, or a day before the draft, I asked him what player he most wanted to model his game after, and his answer was Paul George instantly. Um, 
so I'll take Paul George's defense <laughs> and uh, Harden's offensive mindset. But uh, I don't know. Like when I look at Tatum, honestly, and you look at what he has accomplished so far at the age that he is, and then you look at someone like Paul George or Jimmy Butler or any of the other wings that have kind of come up. I just I, I just think the sky is the absolute limit. And I know that phrase is so cliche, but for him, it really applies. Yeah. Well, his his body type. His skill set is really rare. It's like in baseball, they call it the five-tool guy. That's what he seems sure. like. And he came he came in, and it's just like he's making the scoop pass when he's coming downhill. He's finding, like, the roll man in his rookie season. He's making those passes that you don't really see from rookies. He's really long when he finishes in the lane. He can shoot it better than anybody thought he could. He's, like, hitting shots off the dribble. Yeah, and he could defend. Yeah, there's a there's a lot in his toolbox. Um, let's let's go to the Raptors now, and let's operate for the sake of this podcast. Let's pretend that the trades aren't coming. Let's look at the roster as is. You have Kyle Lowry, Marcus Saul, probably those two guys engineering the offense for the most part. I think they're going to be a really good regular season team, and kind of a pain in the ass to get out of the second round. Probably not less than five games, a tough six-game or seven-game series, but I don't see them in the conference finals or the NBA finals for that matter. What do you see for the Raptors next year? Uh, basically, what you just said. Uh, you know, I just don't know. I, I I think that defensively they're very very interesting, and the players that they brought in. Uh, it wasn't really a surprise what they were trying to accomplish. Uh, you know, Stanley Johnson. Uh, RHJ, um, just those long, strong dudes who can defend multiple positions. Uh, you add that to a team that already had uh, OG and uh, you know even Norm Powell a little bit and Pascal. Like that, it's just I think defense is going to be the the identity of of this team and definitely the strength. Uh, on the other end, like I I think that the uh, it, it, like the ceiling for this team, like they need, obviously you lose Kawhi Leonard and you, we saw kind of what he would do in the playoffs and how important he was. It was just really difficult to slide anybody even close into that, into that category and into that role. You would need just Pascal Siakam to look like a completely different type of player. If, if like, I'm not, there's no insult whatsoever to Pascal, but you know the the having the ball in your hands and having the defense hone in on you on every single possession is just something that not a lot of people can understandably handle and i don't really see that player on this roster but uh you know you still have a lot of genius here you have you know Lowry still you have Gasol still Gasol who's coming off like the greatest year in like any human <laughs> being has ever experienced um, Van Fleet's still around. So, I mean, it's, it's it, like there are some players who, like OG, like I said, and Pascal and Van Fleet, who can still take steps forward and, and grow. Uh, and then you're going to have, you know, those vets that I think you said at the top, like the trades might be coming. But looking at before the trade, like it's still going to be a very formidable team. Yeah. Well, like you said, is where was Kawhi Leonard necessary? And in the playoffs, it was pretty clear that that takeover trait was extremely necessary. You saw it in Game 6 with the Bucks, 
a bunch of games against the 76ers. And, like, just it was littered throughout the whole playoff run how important that was. In the regular season, the defense is a little more lax. I think Kyle Lowry will be able to run the pick and roll kind of however he pleases without being challenged or punched in the face on it too hard. So I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, Gasol and Lowry will be able to operate with a fair bit of space. And I think in the regular season, that'll grant the Raptors, you know, a higher win total than I think most people expect, provided that the team stays together. But you brought up, I think, probably the most interesting two things about the Raptors in this coming year. I think, like you said, there's the genius of Lowry and Gasol. And I think that just exists and it's going to be there. But Pascal Siakam's ascension into from a pseudo star to a star, if that happens, I think that's the most intriguing conversation. And then OG Ananobi, whether he tries to step forward into becoming a different type of player as well, or if he's going to settle into a, maybe he's just a thicker version of Trevor Ariza throughout his career. Something like that, right? Because last year they were trying to fit OG into this mold of, hey, you can try and create with the second unit. And it went terribly. And he had the appendicitis during the playoffs. And during the first part of the regular season, he lost his father. And it was kind of a really weird year for him. And he wasn't able to work off of DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry's gravity anymore, really. And so those two things. I guess we'll start with Pascal Siakam. Do you think it's more likely that he steps towards... You know, somebody who's handling the ball quite a bit during the game, operating the offense, or that he stays closer to his role on offense. And maybe the public perception, kind of how it did on Tatum, spoils a little bit because in this new role, I don't know if he's well equipped to break down other players' best defenders from the perimeter. I think he has to have the ball service to him. What do you think? Yeah, I look at him as more of an exclamation point than anything else. Uh, like a guy who, uh, like those runouts that where you know Kyle Lowry would throw like hail mary passes to him. That's still in my head what I think of when I think of Pascal, and that probably diminishes a lot of a, a lot of other things that he's really good at. Um, like he's not bad by any means in the half court. I think he he proved that he's just a bit inconsistent, and so. To have him initiate offense consistently, I think it'll just be a it, it'll be more experimental than okay, this guy is expected to grow here, and we're gonna feed him and we're gonna give him every opportunity to be this type of player. I just don't think that that's what his NBA destiny is. I could be wrong. We'll see. Um, but I still see Kyle Lowry and Van Vliet and I guess just those two. Plus, I mean, Gasol should I, – I, I imagine Nick Nurse will shift the offensive load also to, you know, having Mark Gasol on the perimeter, uh, surveying the floor quite a bit, um, and letting those guys kind of run things and letting Pascal be Pascal to the best of his ability. But I, I don't know for sure. Um, so I guess to answer your question, I mean, I, I, I don't know if, I mean, if the Raptors are looking for Pascal to replace Kawhi, that's obviously a mistake and not going to happen, but what he is and what he can be is still very exciting and still very much a mystery. Totally. Yeah. That's like, that's the conversation I think. And it's when you see how new Orleans, even though they had a generational talent in Anthony Davis, it's tough to build offenses around big men. It's really, really tough to do. And that's where the Raptors, like, 
Pascal Siakam, I think, is the obvious next step for the franchise. But it's really tough to build around big men like that. It's a lot easier to build around a guard or a wing. And so I think that's really difficult for them to to see what they want to do with that. Because you need somebody to service the big man almost always. You know, Minnesota with Carl Anthony Towns, they ran into it. New Orleans with Anthony Davis. So I think that's probably the most intriguing thing going forward is how do you get to maximize Pascal Siakam while also encouraging him to grow and then recognizing when he's done growing his game. OG Ananobi, like we were talking about, he's very good defensively. And I guess I should say before, I think Pascal Siakam is better defensively than he is offensively. And I don't want to gloss over that. I think he's an incredible all-NBA level defender before before we leave him. But OG Ananobi, he has the competition with Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, who is, I think, really underrated. Stanley Johnson, who obviously has a lot to prove. He's been a terrible shooter in the league so far. Hasn't been a really good decision maker, but they all profile as really big guys. How do you think the wing rotation in Toronto kind of susses out? Uh, yeah, I mean, I saw Rondé Hollis Jefferson up close uh, last year when he was in Brooklyn, and he just, I mean, I was honestly saying throughout the year that I didn't think he was going to get another contract. Uh, in oh, wow. I can't believe we're yeah. so far apart on him. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so, I mean, I could definitely be wrong there. I just, he took no strides forward as someone who can do literally anything with the ball. Um, the shot is is just kind of gone, and, you know, it, it's it has not improved from the free throw line, from just any area of the court consistently uh, for meaningful stretches and I mean he was out of the rotation for a good chunk and they kind of threw him back in in the playoffs and he was a small ball five for a little bit and it was it wasn't the most terrible thing in the world but it was just it felt little a little too little too late for me um you know he's not old or anything like that like he could still have a career uh but I just think with the way that the league is rapidly where the league is rapidly heading, players like Ronnie Hollis Jefferson, even though they are valuable on the defensive end and that body type matters and that athleticism is great, his offense is just really lacking to me in a lot of different areas. So I don't I don't know what the expectation is for him this year and how many minutes he's going to see and what his role will be, but I, I wouldn't have my hopes up personally. Um especially relative to someone like OG, who I feel like is is due in line for a big bounce back season in a lot of ways that you, uh, uh, as you said, like it was last year was just like kind of like the season from hell for him in a lot of ways. Uh, and, uh, you know, going all throughout the, the into the playoffs where he really wasn't able to see the floor, which I'm sure crushed him and personal tragedy and uh, uh so I, I expect better from him and his role will be expanded uh can i actually ask you a, a, a question going back to pascal for a second that i've been yeah of course about? yeah of course um is he untradeable oh see that's tough because i think he's one of the most unique players in the whole league but he's not the type of unique that you build you know a winner on he can't be the I don't think he'll ever get to the point where he'll be the best player on a championship team so I think he is tradable but I think 
what I would trade him for and what you would trade him for would probably be a bit different. I think I would rate him higher than you probably, just being a Raptors writer and fan. But I, I don't think he's untradeable. Right. I Yeah, I just... When I look at the path forward for the Raptors, which I think is the most interesting question, like the long-term path here and the the fact that, you know, Lowry is going to be on his last legs pretty soon and is entering the final year of his contract. Same with Marcus Gasol. Like, are you just going to build around Pascal, who they have not... I don't believe they've offered him uh, an extension even. Um, I don't know what the, the latest is on the, the negotiations there, but... Are you just going to build around Pascal Siakam, presumably under a max extension, or what are you going to well, do? Okay, uh, I'll walk it's, you. It's, it's I'll, interesting. I'll walk you through the hypothetical. I so this okay. is my idea of what the thinking is around Pascal is that I think the Raptors organization probably has to realize if they don't that a lot of Pascal scoring are things that are injected into regular season games and it's like this transition type of scoring where it's the hit-ahead pass or, you know, the ball is cleared out on the one side of the post and he can go to work. But if he's the number one option, you can't really inject that kind of stuff into meaningful games. Like, he's going to do that stuff and that's great, but there is a hard cap on those types of plays and how much you get to do them in games that really, really matter. And so that's the type of player. There's a cap on it. But also that... You know, Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, I don't think there's a, that much ceiling left. And where they go from there, I'm not sure. But I think that they're waiting for Pascal Siakam because they want to have a chance to offer him um, a restricted max at the same time as they're trying to pull in another free agent. I think that's the pitch next summer, is trying to get somebody in to play with Pascal rather than just saying signing him now and saying something like that. I think they want mobility. I think that's what they want. And if they don't get anybody, maybe Masai starts to look to trade and see if he can build, you know, guys he really likes from whatever they get back from Pascal. But I think that would be the thinking. I don't know. No, that yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you want as much flexibility and you want to keep as many doors open as possible if you're the rep yeah. Masai, but... I just look at Pascal and I'm kind of, he is not the type of player who should be on a rebuilding team or even on a team that has a clear ceiling. Like there are so many teams in the Western conference right now that would murder themselves to get Pascal Siakam on their roster next season, because I feel like he is, he is able to elevate very good teams to even higher levels, but single-handedly if the talent isn't there around him i don't know what that what what he is and what his value is and if his value can be reflected by the type of money that his agent will probably be asking toronto for so it's it's just a really fascinating question now that i'm talking about it out loud it's probably the next thing i'm going to write about so <laughs> thanks for <inspiring. laughs> good well yeah that's the it's uh i don't know how old the adage is but you know, guards raise the floor, big men raise the ceiling. So whose ceiling could Pascal Siakam raise? Because the floor will be pretty low if the Raptors are just going forward with him. Because it is that thing about initiating offense consistently through the regular season. And 
providing easy offense for your teammates that guards are able to do, but that big men just they don't have as much opportunity for that. So yeah, it's it's really interesting to see how the Raptors progress going forward. Especially I'm not as big on Van Vliet, I think, as a lot of my contemporaries. I like Raptor Republic. I, I don't see him as the heir apparent to Kyle Lowry. I see him as a three and D guard. And I, I think he's at his best when he's not initiating the offense. Even though he seemed to like catch the sun and eat it for those two rounds against the Bucks and the Warriors where he's hitting like isolation triples. I think his mm-hmm. best game is working off of Kyle Lowry and playing gritty, slimy, bed bug type defense, that type of thing. But I guess, yeah, we'll leave the Raptors there and we'll get into the the rest of the playoff picture and who I have in this group. And feel free to pick the team that you find most interesting that I name and, and we'll start talking about them first. And so Nets, Pacers, Heat, Pistons, Magic, and maybe Washington. Oh, no, not Washington. <laughs> what about Real Deal Beal? Oh, Thomas no. Bryant, yeah. the ghost look of John that. Wall. Yeah, look at that point guard situation. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so this is, what is the name of this tier again? Filling out the playoff picture. Okay. Um, yeah, what team do you want to talk about first? Uh, the Magic. I like the Magic a lot, especially they've got Jonathan Isaac and Fultz that are both really interesting. What do you think about those two guys? I like Isaac. Um, (laughs) uh, I'm a huge fan of Jonathan Isaac and have been for a while. I think he has defensive player of the year potential. He can do He's going to be most improved this year. Most improved player this year. That's a good call. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, I love his game. Like, I wouldn't be... uh, He's one of those players who I would, would, like, go... I'd be very excited if the Celtics were able to swing a trade for him and deal, I don't know who it would be, probably Jalen or something like that, just because Jonathan Isaacs, I think his ceiling and what he's still able to do is is just, it's fascinating to me, particularly on the defensive end and how he grows with the ball. Uh, I mean, he can just be extremely special. Um, I mean, when I look at the magic, like continuity is obviously a huge part of, of what they're trying to do, keeping basically everyone together. And, you know, they bring in Aminu, who's just, uh, he, 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 it's a little bit of an overlap or a lot of an overlap, I would say, in terms of uh, body type, in terms of position. And, um, but it, it's clear to me what, what type of player and what type of uh, team that, what type of players they want to construct the type of team that can execute Steve Clifford's uh, very regimented system on the defensive end and very disciplined and knows exactly what it wants to do. I still don't think that this team can generate enough points to be feared, um, but they should know what they want to be on a possession-by-possession basis, and that is a good thing. And so if if talent-wise, you know, Aaron Gordon takes a step forward, which, you know, he should or maybe will, we'll see. Uh, if Mo Bamba is able to be an NBA player, that would be awesome. Uh, I, I, I'm weary of Terrence Ross and Nikola Vucevic's, you know, the way they played last year in contract years. They just got paid, and I guess we'll see what we, we get from them. Um, but besides that, the offense is a little bit of a question mark, and I'm not too high on it. But 
I mean, this team should be able to, if they are aggressive defensively and if, if Clifford decides to ratchet it up a little bit instead of being uh, overly conservative, I mean, a ton of their offense could just be based on getting stops and forcing turnovers and, you know, rip and run basketball. And that would be really fun to see. Yeah, I think that the rip and run, like you said, is going to be a big part of what they do next year if they're going to be successful. And then using Nikola Vucevic's post prowess to kind of drag them through muddy, you know, slumps in their offense. And DJ Augustine, who also, like you said about Terrence Ross and uh, also Nikola Vucevic, he had a really good year last year. And it wasn't a contract year, but it was just better and more consistent and competent than we've maybe ever seen him before. So I think it'll be interesting to see how their point guard situation shakes out because that was clearly that's where they've needed to improve for some time. And he was good enough to get them into the playoffs and he, he hit that game-winning three against the Raptors. But they're, if they're going to be you know that next level, I think there has to be a step there. And that's why I was wondering about Fultz, is if Fultz is even the Washington player, like university type of basketball his physical profile fits so well with what the magic want to do that if any part of his game came back, I would just, it would be really exciting to see because even Michael Carter Williams, he fit decently on that team at times just because of his absurd length and, you know, willingness to do dirty work. And I think Fultz and Lonzo ball, both those guys from that draft, they're two guards who will do a bit of dirty work, even though they were drafted really high. Aaron Gordon, I'm I'm interested. Did you think he would develop the way he has when he was drafted out of Arizona? I was super high on him coming out of Arizona. And in a lot of ways, he's so far been on track with what I thought would happen. But I think he's his own worst enemy in a lot of ways. And, you know, that's particularly on the offensive end where... I think Frank Vogel made a comment when he first came from Indiana to Orlando where he said that he thought Aaron Gordon could be like Paul George. And that was a mistake because, (laughs) I mean, Aaron Gordon, we just talked about Pascal Siakam and the way he's an exclamation point and needs to be set up instead of setting up action for others. Um, That's exactly what Aaron Gordon, like Aaron Gordon should be Sean Marion 3.0. That's what he should try to be. And a lot of his inability to do that is not his fault. Like he's had four head coaches or five head coaches or something in his career. An absurd number of absurd number of offensive systems. He hasn't really had a good point guard. So uh, like, I don't, I don't, blame him entirely but the way that he's i mean after that comment was made i feel like he took it to heart and has sort of been the type of player who wants to create offense for himself go off the bounce a little bit you know he takes pull-up jumpers like don't he should not be doing that he just shouldn't and it's it's a credit to him that his three-point shot has improved and this form has has kind of course corrected since the days at Arizona, but like I, I still think that there's so much more to untap with this player, uh, and I don't know if it's ever going to happen in Orlando, and we'll see. He has a very tradable contract that's that's pretty attractive, but um, put him in a system where he has a point guard and he doesn't need to, you know, ever really dribble too much, and I think he can be just a, just a wonderful player. 
Yeah, well, that's you hit it on the head. That was I'm surprised at how he's developed, especially the pull-up jumper aspect of his game. I was like, I thought this is a guy who's going to be downhill most of the time, but there's so much sideways to his offensive game that doesn't really seem to make sense or maximize anything he's good at. And that's when the, the magic offense looks really confusing to me is when he's he's breaking out dribble packages and you're like, what the hell is happening right now? So yeah, that's that's exactly right as far as I see it. So the magic, yeah, they... I think there's interesting things. Jonathan Isaac is what I'm looking forward to most on that team because I think he's just, like you said, really special, has potential to be awesome and very fun. I guess, who's probably the most fun to talk about next? You're from Brooklyn. Let's let's head out there. Let's talk Nets. What do you think about Kyrie? No D'Lo, Kyrie, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie leading them into the fray. What do you think? Um... They can go a lot of different ways. They lost a lot of just like really solid personalities in the locker room. They lost Ed Davis. They lost Jared Dudley. Those like those guys just being around the team last year. Those were very important figures um, and tone setters for them. And so uh, you basically replaced D'Angelo Russell with Kyrie Irving, who like I don't. My thoughts on Kyrie are just, I can't get too excited coming off the season he had. He's a wonderful player coming off. I mean, he's second team all NBA and deservedly so, but a lot of other things about him just, I I wouldn't be too pumped and I would not have high expectations if I were a Brooklyn Nets fan just for this one season pre-KD. Elsewhere on the roster, I mean, everything, it's like, there's a lot of good fit with pieces, you know, like I I like Spencer Dinwiddie coming off the bench. I like, we'll see how Karis LeVert and uh, Kyrie kind of mingle in the starting lineup. And I I guess, you know, I I do really like the Torian Prince addition, which really went under the radar because that trade was the one that signaled that they were trying to open up cap space instead of uh, getting off of Alan Crabb and taking on Torian Prince, who I like. Um, I think that was a really nice move. And they have Joe Harris, who, you know, is closing games for Team USA. So uh, very, uh, very talented team. But I think there's a definitive ceiling on what they can do before KD comes back. And to be honest, they're one of those teams that I expect them to make the playoffs. But if they miss the playoffs and Kenny Atkinson got fired, I would not be totally shocked do you think that Kyrie is gonna kind of mail it in prior to like do you think that he's all it's already a lost season in his head before KD comes in like he's like well you know we're gonna do our thing but is that is that the sense out there that everybody's like well this season you know Brooklyn will do their thing but everybody's waiting for KD because KD is obviously he's Kevin Durant (laughs) <laughs> that's his mentality like i really don't know what to tell anyone but um no i i really hope that's not and i don't think it is uh i mean this team has to build this team should be trying to build uh, championship habits that's what this season should be all about because they are going to get well one would think if if kd looks like kd when he's back they're going to get 
if like maybe the best player in the world and an MVP candidate. So in the meantime, I would really like them to see, I would really like to see them, you know, develop whatever type of identity they want to play, whatever, you know, if it's like, we need to, uh, you know, move the ball, stress ball movement, man movement, um, you know, uh, defensive principles. What what is the defensive system going to look like? Are they going to like lead in hustle categories? Um, that's the type of uh, commitment I want to see from the Brooklyn Nets this year. I don't really think that wins and losses should necessarily be that big of a deal for them. I mean, they obviously want to make the playoffs and they obviously want to build on the momentum of last year, but. When you have someone like KD, it's like it's really difficult not to have a mentality that is KD's coming to save the day, but they really cannot have that mentality. I think they need to scrap and claw and forge an identity this year and then see what happens. Last question regarding the Nets. If you want to win a game, who's playing for you down the stretch, Jared Allen or DeAndre Jordan? That's a really good question. I... I really like Jared Allen and I actually, after thinking about it, I was surprised that he played in summer league, but then when I saw him play and I saw this guy who, I mean, the, the knock on him has basically been that, you know, he quote unquote does not really care that much. And he cared in Las Vegas and that's really saying something. And I thought the physicality with which he which he played with was impressive. Um, meanwhile, on the other end of the spectrum, I mean, DeAndre Jordan kind of mailed it in last year, uh, especially after the trade to the Knicks. The last two so, years, I think. Sure. <laughs> For yeah, DeAndre. Sure, fair. Yeah. And also, DeAndre got paid, like, um, 15, a lot right? more money. He's making 9.8 this year, 10, 9.8, 9.8. So he's, oh. I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's a $40 million deal or something close to that. So he's, uh, he's getting paid a lot and I don't know how that's going to impact his mentality. Maybe it won't, maybe he'll be just as motivated uh, and happy and in a good place now that he's with uh, really talented players and, uh, um, and really didn't have to move either, going from the Knicks to the Nets, which is a, a slam dunk for him. But um, yeah, I, I I would like to see Jared Allen to answer your question. I would like to see Jared Allen at the end of games before DeAndre. I mean, I know he he cleaned up the free throw shooting also, but I I I haven't seen him make a big free throw in a meaningful game yet. So um, Jared Allen's my guy. Yeah, I think so too. That's what I would that's what I would go with because you know it's. It's the future as well. Jared Allen could could end up being really, really fun for a long time. So between Pacers, Heat, and Pistons, if you could rank those three by who's going to have the best seed and the worst seed, what would it be? And what's kind of directing why you say that? Pacers, Heat, and Pistons. Hmm. Well, I think the I'll start with the Pistons. Just I think that you know health is an obvious concern. I think Andre Drummond is just a really um, I I try to say nice things about Andre Drummond, and I try to be <laughs> optimistic about 
what he can still be, but there's just so many parts of his game that have not taken steps forward. And he's, you know, ideally you would want Blake Griffin to have a different type of player next to him, I think. Uh, so that team is a lot of question has a lot of question marks for me. And I love Luke Kennard probably more than his family, but I, I don't, I, you know, they still have, uh, um, Reggie Jackson who demands the ball and, and will need touches. So it's, uh, it's a confusing situation there. So I'll probably put them last there. And then, uh, the Pacers, I, Really like, you know, how that roster is constructed. I, I really like the offseason that they had. Some of the players they brought in, obviously Brogdon was, was huge. At that money, probably too much, but who cares? We're just talking about who's going to be good on, on the court. Um, so I like Brogdon there. Um, Victor Oladipo, uh, will, I think that he's obviously a huge question mark this season and whether or not he's able to come back healthy and look like the all-star that he was before that injury. Um, will ultimately dictate this team's success. But, uh, you know, there's a trade to be made between splitting up Sabonis and Miles Turner at some point, which will be really interesting. And seeing what they get back in that Who trade would you keep could also... If you, if you had to choose? I would keep uh, Turner Same. because I just think he's easier to build around. And there's more... Uh, like I already know what I what he is defensively, and all I need for him is to be a better three point shooter, and then I have a really special player to, on a really good contract. Sabonis, so I love Sabonis, so but in a playoff series, I'm just not sure defensively if he's up to snuff in big minutes um, at the money that he's going to cost. But uh, so I'll put the Pacers as the second team, and then my favorite is Miami. And I feel like this is somewhat of a hot take. I'm not really seeing a lot of moment Miami Heat momentum, but I just think Jimmy Butler is going to have an absolutely monster season in this environment. I love Bam Adebayo. I'm a huge Kelly Olenek guy. I think Justice Winslow is, you know, gets better every year in little ways. And just culturally speaking, this team knows what it is. And I really value teams that know what they are. And, you know, I think a trade will, this is another team that has opportunity to make some trades and, you know, Goran Dragic and another contract could make for an interesting one. And uh, I don't know who exactly they would bring in, but um, because they're really valuing their, their cap space going forward. But uh, yeah, I, I, I just, I, I like Miami. Miami should be hungry after last year and I'm, I'm betting the farm on jimmy so should i be expecting like amari's first like couple months in new york except over a full <laughs> season for jimmy butler like gonna come in there and just light the place on fire i mean jimmy's gonna have like a a, a pretty good usage rate and he's like it's, it's there's really nothing no opportunity for him to blame anybody else for anything. Like he's he the heat works hard. The heat exactly. even have they have that body fat percentage contract thing. So everybody's gonna be in good shape. Everybody's gonna be working hard on there. I think it'll be good. Yeah. No. And also like that. I that mentality has never been 
Jimmy's problem. Jimmy's problem has been, why are my teammates working as hard as I am? So right. I think this is a really good fit for him in a lot of ways. And if he can focus on basketball um, and not worry about all the other stuff that has distracted him over the past two and a half years, uh, he'll be a monster this season. I think the greatest gift that the NBA could give us this season is if Bam and Jimmy Butler become like the new bad boys of the East. I think that would be really, really fun. Like they get like a top four seed and they're like flexing on everyone like 16 times a game, mean mugging all over the place. That would be something special. It would be cool. Yeah. Uh, Young and fun. I have the Hawks and Chicago in here. And then the maybe this won't be much fun at all group is Cavs, Hornets, Knicks, and Washington, who has now been kicked out of the filling up the playoff (laughs) picture as per Michael Pina, who says, no, no, God, please, no, don't do that. So young and fun. You have the Hawks and Chicago. The Hawks first. Who becomes an all-star first, John Collins or Trey Young? Uh, I, uh, Trey Young, probably. Um, I love John Collins. I mean, it could be either of them, to be honest. John Collins is just a, like, a walking 2010 guy, I feel like. Like, that's going to be him the rest of his career, and he wants to do all these different things, and whenever he talks about his own game, he, he compares himself to really talented players, and I think he should probably just focus on being a 2010 guy, a traditional 2010 guy who can, I guess, you know, be a four or a five, um, work a little bit more on the rim protection and the rebounding. Uh, and he's a really interesting, devastating player. Uh, Trey Young, Trey Young's rookie year, I was, I was like mesmerized. I thought he was great. Um, I, I think he has the potential to be the best passer in the league. I don't, and that's not a controversial statement at all. And, you know, the shot selection is the shot selection. But, uh, you know, if those threes start to fall at a little bit of a more respectable clip, he's just such a devastating player, someone who's so difficult to contain and who spaces the floor for everybody else, who sees where all his teammates are at all times. Um, I, 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 I really like the Hawks. I don't know if this is the year that they make any sort of meaningful leap forward. But I'm, I'm like, so, so, so bullish on their future. How much do you think the Suns would pay to give Trey Young's jump shot to Ricky Rubio? <laughs> well, I mean, Ricky Rubio is the MVP of the FIBA World Cup, so no disrespect. No disrespecting Ricky Rubio right now. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I would think that they would... They would uh, um, mortgage whatever i'm blanking on the name of robert sarver um they would mortgage his entire fortune to get steph curry's shot i don't know about uh trey young shot but uh but yeah, yeah that's 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 you, my response to yeah that one. you mentioned trey young being maybe the best passer in the league and then i just immediately my head went to ricky rubio and what he would be able to do with an offense, if he was able to command gravity with a jump shot, which he isn't, I just, that's one of my favorite things, is like, what if Ricky Rubio could shoot? What would that offense look like? Because he's, he's a genius too. But yeah, I like what you said about John Collins. I, I was going to say, I think that him and Jason Tatum might be the two new guys for the All-Star team this year, but that's really dependent on 
if the Hawks are really exciting from the jump and if they they start winning some more games than we're than we're used to before the All Star break. But like you said, it's tough to decide whether this is their year or not. And Chicago, I think, will also be fun. Zach Levine, while overrated by I think a lot of people, is fun. Um, Wendell Carter Jr. I think is incredibly good, and I think. He could be like a Miles Turner type of guy going forward, like a really special big man. What do you think about Chicago for this upcoming season? Yeah, I wrote about Chicago at the beginning of the summer, I guess after free agency and their roster settled out a little bit. And I mean, I'm high on them. Uh, It feels like to me uh, they did not overspend in free agency and did not you know, get flummoxed and it looks like they're staying a course here that is, you know, we're going to value our young talent and grow it steadily and surround them with really smart veterans that they can, uh, you know, feed off of in the locker room and on the floor guys like uh, Thad Young. I thought that the Thad Young signing was just like a stroke of, of genius. Um, he's good, uh, man. And he's great. He's great. And he's a wonderful teammate and a smart dude. So having him in there will be wonderful. Um, at, like talent-wise, I think someone like Laurie Markkinen could make a leap forward this year. And for me, like the, the Markkinen versus Collins versus Bam Adebayo versus there's another big in that draft class I'm leaving out right now. But uh, th- those are really interesting and fun conversations to have. But offensively, Markinen can be a very, very devastating player. And um, we'll see if he makes the jump this year. Uh, I actually was thinking about, um, you know, uh, we were going back to the Celtics because the, the universe revolves around the Celtics. But their need for a, a big man, um, I would probably be interested in a Wendell Carter for Jalen Brown trade if that were to to materialize because Wendell Carter seems like he is uh, who's the big that you just used to compare him to Miles Turner. Yeah, I see more of a like a. I feel like he thinks the game a little bit more than Miles Turner does. So like, I can see like remnants of Al Horford there, and so mm. that would be really great and then wonderful. Um, and staying put where he is, I, I'm not sure. I, I guess Markin and Carter Jr. have, have like no, uh, uh, like there's no believe that they can't coexist. Uh, but I kind of want to see it to believe it for like a, during a meaningful stretch. I don't know if we'll see that this season, but but yeah, this is a really interesting team. Yeah, well, it's the starting five. I think is what makes them. Like you said, Markinen, he can be really interesting offensively. Um, Wendell Carter Jr. is obviously, you and I rate him both, both of us really high. Otto Porter Jr. is a good player. He makes too much money. Well, he can make as much money as he wants, but as far as the value of the league, he makes more money than what he provides to a team, I guess. And Chris Dunn and Zach Levine, that five is, you know, pretty interesting and could, if it's just a five-man unit, could vie for a playoff spot maybe if they if they put everything together offensively and it's just yeah what do you think about Chris Dunn running the show over there does that make you feel good or feel bad oh I I do not think he's going to run the show (laughs) (laughs) I I think I think that you know they obviously just drafted Kobe White 
And it only stands to make sense to give him the ball a lot this year, just because um, that's kind of, you know, get, get him reps. And I mean, I love Thomas Sedaransky. I think that that was mm-hmm. another great signing by this team. And he was not really able to play point guard in Washington or play basketball in Washington. But I feel like a Sadaransky Levine starting backcourt makes a lot of sense and can be just fits on one end. I mean, they'll be nightmarish defensively, but fits on one end. I think that they'll be really difficult to defend. Yeah. I think Sadaransky will be, for his whole career, he'll be underrated as what he brings to the table. But he'll be, I think he'll linger on teams like the Bulls and he'll just make the lineups he's in better for his whole career and probably will never get his due. I guess it depends if he ever ends up on like a really smart contender or something. But yeah, Sadaransky, really fun. Kobe White, um, really likable. I haven't seen that much of Kobe White. I know he played like North Carolina, so there's like lots of tape, but. I haven't seen that much of him. And the last the last grouping is that maybe this won't be that much fun, which they're not going to get that much time from us, which makes sense. But that's Washington, the Cavs, the Hornets, and the Knicks. Who has the brightest future of those four teams, do you think? <laughs> um, damn, that's a really de- like, depressing question. Um, it's not the Hornets. Yeah. Who I wrote about. Mm-hmm. I think that they have the worst future in the whole NBA. Um, I mean, it depends on what the Wizards get when they inevitably trade Brad Beal. I will say we don't really know what that's going to be, but I would be shocked if they did not eventually trade that dude because like the offers are going to be coming in. Wait, before um, you go on, what's your favorite destination for Bradley Beal in the whole league? If you could choose where he gets to go, where would you pick? I don't mind. Hmm, I don't mind Miami. I think Miami would be really interesting just because that's the one team that has one known all-star. And there's so many dynamic duos in the league. Um, so giving them another one would be really fun. Uh, I think another one would be, I think a lot of people have talked about Denver as a possible destination for him and uh that that would also be really really spicy um yeah so up the top of my head i'd say those two does a team come to mind for you denver was was probably the one i would pick most because i think that would be really interesting i don't think jamal murray is the ball handler that will take like Jokic and co over the top so having brad beal i think would be would be something else, but he's so damn good, and it sucks that he's on Washington. So anyway, I just I was wondering about that. Yeah, I actually just wrote two thousand words about why I'm a skeptic of the Denver Nuggets, and a lot of them are about Jamal Murray, who I'm I am not a huge fan of. I'm also a skeptic. Well, you know, Lewis, we talked about this on the last podcast, and he thought he was an optimist of the Nuggets, and I was like, oh man, I disagree no. with you on that. I because yeah. Jokic is awesome, but Jamal Murray, I, even though I'm Canadian, I don't like him leading the <laughs> offense down the stretch. I just, I don't at all. I think it's a recipe for disaster. And he makes yeah, too much money. Oh, anyway. Okay. Um, Cavs and Knicks. What do you think? Let's, I mean, let's talk. Yeah. Yeah, like, I... 
it's I guess this is just like what is this an RJ Barrett versus Darius Garland Colin Sexton debate like um like I don't I don't know I I guess like the Cavs are the way that they've drafted recently is really interesting they have another um I don't I don't know if I'll call Kevin Love an all-star but they have a quality player that they're probably going to trade um so we'll see what they get back if they can get any future assets worth talking about, um, then that obviously ups their profile for the future. Uh, the Knicks are just, it's really, I don't know. They signed a lot of dudes, and uh, I i don't know. <laughs> they are going to be very interesting to watch this year. I don't, I, I mean, I think that they might win more than people anticipate, which does not really do them any good. Um, but... For the future, if that's just like like long term future, I would say like the Cavs are probably brighter than the Knicks. Yeah, well, like you said, I think they'll win more. I think the Knicks, if you're gonna make a bet on the over of what they win this year, I think you bet the over because I think they'll win more. But that does the franchise literally nothing, no good at all. The the R.J. Barrett of it all, is he the next Canadian bust? Is he Wiggins Bennett esque? <laughs> Do you like his game? I don't. I'm not that familiar with his game, and I I tend to be reserved when it comes to making proclamations like that because I I don't watch college, and there was a lot of dramatic, strong opinions based on what he did in summer league, and I really don't put too much stock in summer league either. So, um, I guess, I mean, it's a really stupid cop-out of an answer, but, like, we'll see. Um, this team <laughs> has a lot of guys. This team has a lot of guys who are going to want to shoot this year, which is not an ideal uh, environment for a rookie shooting guard. But, um, you know, Kevin Knox, Dennis Smith, they signed Julius Randle. Mar- I mean, Julius Randle and Marcus Morris on the same team is just, like, flabbergasting to me like i i that is like i don't know i just can't even understand trying to rebuild and having both those guys on your squad but um that's the knicks for you the amount of shots that alonzo trier barrett morris and randall are gonna put up is gonna be astounding and randall and Barrett will probably, like, they will wear the left side of the backboard out, like, in MSG. Like, they'll have to get a new one in every, like, six games because they're going to be hitting the glass so often going to that left hand. It's oh, it's going to be a weird team to watch because you're going to see <laughs> Randall and Barrett rumble to that left hand, and it's just going to look like the same thing over and over again. My God. What is there... Yeah. Who's the most underrated player on the Knicks? Is it Frankie Smokes? Is it Alonzo Trier? Who do you like that you know they could they could end up being like quite good? I mean, based on just the amount of crap he took throughout. Hello, I'm Jack Wilson. I'm here to tell you about my podcast, The History of Literature. Hello. This is Edgar Allan Poe. Hello. Oh, hello. I'm Elizabeth Bennett. Hello. Come on Hello. in. I'm Emily Dickinson. Hello. This is Bartleby. Hello, it's me, Lady Macbeth. The Scrivener. Whoa. On the history of literature, we journey through the world of great books. 
taking a look at everything from the Epic of Gilgamesh to contemporary classics. We talk to authors and professors, and once in a while, we have a special guest. Hello, I'm Oliver Twist. The History of Literature podcast with Jack Wilson, where literature comes to life. Join us. We'll consider ourselves grateful. Thank you, Oliver. More gruel, please, sir. You bet. This rookie season, uh, I my answer is probably going to be Kevin Knox. Um, I yeah. never really understood why he was shed on to the degree he was. I mean, I know that the advanced metrics were really bad, and it's it's not common that someone who posts those types of numbers ever recovers to be a, a quality player or even, you know, is able to reach an all-star type of level. But, you know, you look at the body, you look at um, – I just – I'm a huge fan of his three-point stroke. He was really lost defensively, but being lost and as a rookie who is the youngest player in the league, which I believe he was, or the second youngest player in the league, like, I'm not going to overreact to that. Like, the Knicks' entire – season and just about every area was a dumpster fire so to be a rookie in that environment was like not not conducive to him performing at a uh, at a rate that you would expect someone in his draft slot to perform but you know coming out of college where he really didn't have a lot of space um his rookie year he also didn't have a lot of space like at some point, Kevin Knox is going to be a, a pretty good, versatile NBA player. And I'm, I, I was not really – I was surprised to see how many people wrote him off after last season. I think in a roundabout way, you just gave a really, really good answer to the R.J. Barrett thing. And I'll tell you why. You <laughs> talked about Trey Young and him you know, being a viable all-star at some point. And I think you and I probably both believe that he will be an all-star at some point. He had a horrible summer league. And then there was Kevin Knox, who he set the league on fire in summer league, and he had a horrible seasons. And then so when you look at those two things, you say, well, maybe R.J. Barrett just needs to play in the NBA before I decide what's happening. <laughs> um, I feel like that's uh, that's the Eastern Conference to me. I feel like we, we talked about lots of it. Obviously, if you're a fan of the Hornets, and you're listening to this Raptor-centric podcast, this wasn't the one for you, my guy. I'm very sorry that we didn't touch on Scary Terry or Miles Bridges, who should be lots of fun. But, yeah, things like that. Michael, thank you so much for doing this, man. This was a blast. My guy, thank you for having me. Yeah. Is there anything you want to plug? I know you just had a Sean Livingston piece come out recently, things of that ilk. What should the people be reading of yours? Well, the next thing that should be coming out this week is, like I said, this large piece about why I hate the Denver Nuggets. So I guess <laughs> keep, an, keep, an eye out, keep an eye out for that one. And uh, for all the people who follow me, you will inevitably be seeing a retweet of whenever Michael writes about the, the Pascal Siakam question. So we'll, we'll all stay tuned <laughs> for that whenever you write it. All right, man. Thanks, well, man. I'll let you go and uh, take care. And uh, for the listener, the one that is you listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great day and goodbye. Everyone needs more vacation, right? The new United Gateway card knows how to take you away with great travel rewards and no annual fee ever. The wait for vacation is over. Tap now or visit unitedgatewaycard.com to apply. Want to hear something amazing? 
Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.